Kahan Singh Dillon Jr. was born on June 26, 1980. By all accounts, he was born in Alexandria, Virginia, and raised just south in Mount Vernon, the home of the first U.S. president, George Washington. Besides for a spate of moving violations for reckless driving, Kahan did not have a criminal record. He had no professional licenses, and there were no judgments or liens against him. Before this Baltimore Renaissance, and a couple of articles that were written about the plan, there didn't seem to be much online about Kahan. The company he was running, the Regent Company, had a website, but it was less than stellar. There was an about page that described the company as, quote, comprised of three business units, a construction, development, and financing unit. Other than this, there was little else. There were no listings or pictures of past or current development projects. The property for sale page was blank. It looked like it could be just enough for people who wouldn't dig too deep to think it's legit but underwhelming coming from a guy who was going to be leading a $10 billion development project. There were many things about Kahan that were dubious. Again, this is Richard Yeagley, the producer who covered this story. He led people to believe that he was a developer of a large-scale project in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, when in reality... He was simply a single member of a citizen task force. He also kept many things close to his chest, and he was evasive about many details about his personal and professional life. He would make big claims, then be vague when discussing the specifics. He never let me record any of these conversations. Kahad was telling people, Yegley included, that he had recently sold a division of his company for eight to nine figures. He said his development company, Regent Company LLC, had revenue of 15 to 20 million dollars a year. He even claimed he was the youngest intern in the history of Congress. All three of these proclamations are unverifiable. He swore he was bound by an NDA to not reveal details about the purported sale of the smart home division of his company, which he said he sold to a Silicon Valley venture capital firm. And although he set himself up to be some sort of big shot developer, outside of the house he lived and worked out of, he never gave me any addresses to properties that he owned or even once owned. But with a little bit of research, I found 14 properties that were once owned by Regent Company LLC or Kahana Dillon, none of which he still owned, besides for the house he lived in. He was a house flipper, essentially, and oddly enough, there seemed to be a stretch of time from 2013 to 2017 where he didn't look to be acquiring any properties at all. And that felt a little strange to me.
from the beginning of the process, I had wanted access to Kahan and his business outside of just the meetings that he had on Fridays in Baltimore. But Kahan, he was reticent. In an email sent to Yangley from Kahan's assistant, they confirmed that, quote, shooting Mr. Dillon outside of Baltimore was not permitted. I never saw him on days other than Fridays. I never knew what he did on non-Fridays, was never allowed access in his office or house in Northern Virginia. And to be frank, because I heard about the theory that he was an FBI informant, this caginess, it made me a bit suspicious. No, I gave him 20, though. <laughs> I was like, David, you're going to need 20 minutes, not 10 minutes. Regarding the actual stakeholder meetings on Fridays, Kahan set most of the ground rules to my access. There you go. There you go. Of the 20 or so stakeholder outreach meetings that I shadowed, only a few were private, uh, which were discussions where I was not permitted to record and Kahan's team members did not even attend. Right, we gotta get to City Hall quick, six foe. The meeting with City State's attorney Marilyn Mosby was private as were several with elected officials at City Hall. But more than half the time, however, I was able to attend and even record. You know, I have no reason not to trust you, and I hope you, um, as the same trust I give you, I hope you can give me as well. Uh, this conversation opinion. took place with a lobbyist at a posh downtown restaurant at the Four Seasons in Harbor East, a glowing, perhaps glaring, example of development done by and for privileged Baltimoreans. And, uh, and what has been your experience in working with, you know, the current mayor as far as, um, for example, um, if you if somebody wanted a meeting with her and they worked with you, what, what has been the outcome of her willing to take meetings and so forth? The city's then, new think, mayor, Catherine Pugh, who took office in late 2016 after the previous mayor did not seek re-election in the wake of the violence and protests following Freddie Gray's death kept her distance, even though Kahan contributed $1,000 to her campaign. Mayor Catherine Pugh, well, her campaign anyway, had a few transgressions during the election in 2016. One of her trusted aides pleaded guilty for funneling cash to her through his relatives. The former Baltimore County Executive Jim Smith, who now has a job in her office in which he makes $175,000 a year, he made an unlawful loan to her campaign. And lastly, there was an investigation that is currently unresolved in which $66,000 of checks had suspiciously bounced. If Kahan is an informant, I'm sure he wants to cozy up to the mayor, who has shown that at the very least, she is willing to keep mistake-prone people around her. It should be noted, throughout the process of covering this story, the mayor and her office have not responded to a request for an interview or comment. This is the million dollar view. Um, this is probably the only building in Baltimore that you can see Fort McHenry. We are on the rooftop terrace at Silo Point in the once lunch pail working class and now gentrified waterfront of South Baltimore. You can see both West Baltimore, East Baltimore, everything. This is Pat Turner, a veteran Baltimore developer giving Kahan a tour of a 24-floor condo tower converted from what was once the largest grain elevator in the world. It's wonderful. It is. You're a smart man. Lucky man. A few minutes later, 
they take a seat at a table on the rooftop terrace, where Kahan pitches Turner on his TBR plan. I have now taken an approach where I'm not only coming in in the normal political up, uh, you know, top-down approach, but I've now created a movement from the bottom up at the grassroots. So we have over 360 volunteers. By the time this year is up, I want 12 to 1,500. And the whole purpose is to put as much pressure on the mayor uh, to make that sure means? that she yes, yes, that she moves this movement. She's been ducking me. Why would she not meet with you? I have been told by, and this is third party, so I'm giving you the, I'm giving you what I, information third I have. Or second, hey, the, all I've been told is, is that she's, that her concern is that, or her issue is, uh, it's not her plan. Tomorrow's Saturday. Huh? If I can set up a meeting tomorrow for lunch, mm -hmm. Catherine, you come. Yeah, I mean, unless- Why would she not come? All I can tell you is what I know. And all yeah. I know that I've been told is that she is, um, she has that in her mind, if it's not her plan, that's it's not created yeah, by that's, her. That's not Catherine. She's just been mayor for. I'm just telling you that's what I've been told. Days, days. So the answer that I would have, the question I'd have for you is, can you can you produce a meeting with her yes, next month? Yes, I can. Okay, let's do it. But I only do it if I feel comfortable about it. Well, I would you... never ask a favor of anybody. I would never <laughs> do that. To Pat, somebody. Pat, let me say this much to you. You got to convince me first. Pat, all I have to say to you is this: My father, before he died three years ago. At 86 years old, after fracturing his neck, falling down the stairs and being in the ICU, he taught me one thing. He said, son, this is the way that you build your trust. You either have 0% or you have 100%. There's no such thing as 29.7% trust. You have 100 or 0. And you know what he said? He says, life is too short to fuck around with trust. So here's what I want you to do. I want you. You have a very honorable father. Thank you. That's all true. Thank you. This is what he said to me. He said, you give them 100% until they give you one reason not to. And after that point, it's zero. And that's how I've lived my whole life. And so I'm telling, you, I'm telling you right now that if you give me, I, I've already, I'm giving you 100%. I hope you would give me the same. And if you gave me the same, you'd never have one reason not to have it. After the meeting that Kahan had with Pat Turner, something strange happened. So Pat walked Kahan and his team, including me, out of the suite, down the elevator, and out to the parking lot, where he pulled Kahan to the side and spoke to him privately. At the time, I didn't hear the conversation, and I clearly didn't record it. But later I spoke with Pat, and he was able to actually tell me what he said. We had walked outside the building and I said, look, I said, I wasn't gonna say this in front of, you know, your people you're working with. I said, cause I don't know if they know things. I said, but it concerns me that I heard through rel a reliable source that you were an FBI informant. My source wasn't the only person who had heard this rumor. Pat had heard about the Kahan as FBI informant theory as well. But unlike my source, he was basing his theory on circumstance and speculation. Pat's conviction went beyond just a simple theory. person I know, they saw the name on an affidavit that was listed as a confidential informant, a CI, I think they call it or something. So um, he doesn't have an, he's got an unusual enough name. There's not a lot of people with that same name out there. So Pat did not reveal his source, but he did say that Mayor Pugh also believed that Kahan was an FBI informant and for that reason, wanted nothing to do with him. Although multiple sources, including people in the mayor's office, 
were reported to have thought Kahan was working with the FBI. Was it really possible that the FBI would have a guy like Kahan working for them? I had never met Pat Turner before that day. I, I did know of him, and I knew that he was politically connected like all successful developers. And I guess for that reason, I thought that what he was saying about Kahan seemed at the very least plausible and quite possibly even true. Senator Nathaniel Oakes's office declined several requests to speak for this story. The FBI did not reveal the identity of the confidential informant. Shortly after Pat Turner confronted him privately about the rumor, Kahan mentioned their conversation to me directly. He didn't want the conversation recorded, but he did claim that the rumor was all an effort to try and discredit him and his plan. He also confirmed that two people, one being Pat Turner, had told him that Mayor Pugh thinks he was working for the FBI. Kahan was denying he had any affiliation with the FBI. Yet the thing they were investigating, public corruption, was something Kahan fixated on. <laughs> There's so much wrong and backward with the city that needs to be done to fix it. I mean, I, the question is where you start. At this point, I mean, so you, I don't know if you read about my background, but I was youngest intern in the history of Congress at 15. I was an aide to a senator by 17. I was writing public policy and bills for Congress before I, was even, before I even got a driver's license. So at this point, I know how the whole political process works. I worked in the most corrupt place on earth, which was New Jersey, before I got, only, set, only beating out Baltimore, so Baltimore being probably number two. And believe me, it's the same stuff here. Like when I first started this process, there were people that were trying to like find their way to uh, offer me this or that to try to get me to just, you know, not continue what I'm doing. And I'm just like, not doing it. Money can't buy me. I can't be bought. I'm only gonna go. He was obsessed right with thing. corruption. He spoke about it nonstop. The, I guess the operative theory being that he witnessed corrupt acts firsthand and that the corrupt politicians had every reason to try to prevent him from developing in Baltimore. I've had enough. I don't care about these politics. I know how they work. They've already tried to buy, they've already tried their unique ways to try to get me to go away. And you know what I basically- This is Kahan speaking with two finance guys at one of his stakeholder outreach meetings. It was recorded at a coffee shop, so the audio isn't great. You know, if you want to talk about exposing things and talking about, you know, political, the political shenanigans that go on, I've spent more time than anything collecting as many skeletons and as many people's clouds as possible. So the day that they're ready to that's get started, what you got to do. that's what you got to do. So, so when they're ready, ready I'm work. ready. ready I'm ready. And my team members are going to have, are just as ready. I mean, think about I, it. I didn't know specifically what Dirk Kahan had on people. And if he did, I could never know how valid it was. But one thing was for sure, he did have insiders like Sheila Dixon who were giving him information. What? Girlfriend, I got all kinds of roles. This is my hug. This is Kahan meeting with Sheila Dixon, Baltimore's first female mayor and the only Baltimore mayor to ever be indicted while in office. She served as mayor from 2008 until February of 2010, when she resigned as part of a plea agreement after she was charged with stealing gift cards that developers, including the aforementioned Pat Turner, had supposedly donated to the needy. She ran again for mayor in 2016, losing narrowly to the current mayor, Catherine Pugh. So how's the plan going? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's moving fast and furious and growing and by leaps and bounds. But, I, but it came to a point recently where I was like, 
you know, me and, me and Sister Sheila got to get together because it's got to a point now where I'm, in a, um, I'm taking a different direction with my approach on a certain item and I needed to, I wanted to get your input. And like we had talked about at the appropriate time figuring out. Miss Dixon was brought on board to the TBR team in what Kahan described as a special advisor to the president. But no matter what the title officially entailed, Miss Dixon served an important role. According to Kahan, the former mayor, a political insider, was feeding him information, damning information about public officials in the city. She all, you know, she always does this information sharing that's always, uh, it's always a riot. It's always a riot. That is Kahan talking with Yegli about meeting privately with Sheila Dixon. And it's always confidential and it's always about somebody else or something else is going on and we're always sharing notes then. And funny enough, our notes all connect, which means that it's valid information. Although Kahan wouldn't share with Yegli what types of skeletons he had dug up, the likelihood of certain public officials in Baltimore having them was high. There's a lot of dirty folks in Baltimore. It's, it seems like a place that's just got a history and a, and, a, and a tradition of that sort of thing. This is Edward Erickson, a contributing writer for this story and a former reporter for the Baltimore City Paper, an alternative source of news before it closed shop in late 2017. He was often on the front line of corruption stories within the city and saw that sort of thing firsthand. I've been bitching for the, for the feds to come in and clear out the city, both in the police department and in, in the regular political departments for years. It's, it's been so overdue to come in and do this. But it's this is the second corruption case against Nathaniel Oakes, who in 1989, while serving in the House of Delegates, was convicted of stealing more than $10,000 from his campaign account. In Baltimore, I've been shocked. Again, I've been here since 2004. So I'm not a native and I'm, you know, I've spent some years and I've worked in a lot of other cities. I worked in Orlando, I, I, I worked in Columbus, Ohio, I worked in Hartford, Connecticut for quite a while. And what struck me in Baltimore, and it took me a while to sort of catch on, is the lack of capacity. You know, you don't want to, you can't really sum up a place like that completely, but there are, there are patterns, there, there are patterns. And one of the patterns here is, 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 is you know, corruption masquerading as incompetence and incompetence being, you know, at a level sort of above where it is in other places. Baltimore has had its trouble with public corruption in the past few years. A police department mandated by the Justice Department to institute widespread reform. A case in which eight officers of an elite Baltimore task force were charged with federal racketeering. And a mayor found guilty of embezzlement. But those headlines are just the tip of the iceberg and they pale in comparison to some of the stories Erickson's heard over the years, but couldn't prove. To the seasoned reporter, there could be so much more that could be done. What's interesting in Baltimore is that a guy like Pat Turner and probably several other people in the political world will know what's going on in the FBI investigation. It's a leaky place, and that's something that's, I think, kept the city from getting sort of cleaned out, mucked out, you know, for all these years. But I don't know why it is. Because when you look at the U.S. Attorney's Office and when you look at the FBI, what you see, and I saw a guy like this back in the day. 
Although the FBI was seemingly conducting a larger sting on public officials, was it really possible that the FBI would have a guy like Kahan working for them? It did seem like a rather big and unlikely ruse. But the FBI isn't unfamiliar with creating Trojan horses. Former state senator caught up in a public corruption and bribery scandal now faces time behind bars in federal prison. As one recent example, in 2016, Ronald Calderon, a California state senator, was convicted and sentenced to three and a half years for accepting bribes from an FBI agent who posed as a film producer looking for the senator to pass legislation that would offer tax incentives that would be favorable for a fictional production company he owned. I think what's interesting in a case like this, and it's, it's indicative of the types of sting operations that the FBI tends to run in public corruption cases, is that they really go to a great extent to create the cover story for their undercover, whether it's an informant or, or an undercover agent. That is Trevor Aronson, a Florida-based journalist who has done extensive reporting on the FBI and undercover stings. And, you know, in the case of the, the film producer, you know, they created a website for him. He had an IMDb record. Um, you know, they really went to, you know, a pretty good extent to create, you know, the, the kind of paper trail online so that if Ronald Calderon got suspicious, you know, he could Google this guy and, and you know, be kind of assured based on information that was online that this is actually, you know, uh, a real film producer versus, you know, some sort of law enforcement you know, agent, which he, which he clearly was. There are examples of informants who, you know, do so voluntarily because they, you know, believe in the mission or they have ambitions of kind of being pseudo FBI agents. But, but more often than not, people work for the FBI as informants because they get hung up on charges of their own and they're working basically to save their own skin. I mean, if you... If you look look at public corruption cases in the same way you look at you know organized crime cases, I mean what they're hoping to do is is insert an informant or or undercover agent at the very beginning into the organization and then find someone kind of guilty of corruption or guilty of the crime, flip them and then get them to work as a CI and then move your way up the ladder. So you're kind of cleaning house, but then you're also exposing kind of the criminal network um, or conspiracy for it is, rather than just getting one or two people who are the lower-level operators. So from what I was hearing, Senator Oaks was small potatoes compared to what else was out there. There were three cooperators slash informants who were listed on the affidavit. So it was known that there were multiple people working with the FBI, and it was likely that they were looking for a bigger fish. So there was much chatter around town about who the targets of the investigation were. I mean, I heard many names thrown out, but none as much as Jack Young. The city council president. Bernard Jack Young is the epitome of Baltimore establishment politics. Like everyone on the council, he is a Democrat. Gruff and unpolished, he is a 21-year staple within City Hall and was a council member before he was unanimously elected council president in 2010. When I first met Kahan, he told me that he had the support of the city council president. But Kahan was prone to exaggeration, so I didn't necessarily believe him. Uh, he was, he's obviously been very supportive since the beginning, and uh, he has been arg- arguably one of the greatest um, supporters of what we're uh, working to accomplish since day one. And if Baltimore City had a lot more people like him, 
Uh, obviously, I think it'd be in a different position. It, uh, he really has been a true patron of support for us from the beginning. It wasn't until a member of the city council shared an email with me that I fully understood just how cozy Kahan actually was with the city council president. Dear Mr. Dillon, I appreciate the meeting with you and your insight on how to move Baltimore forward. I'm sure the new council members and the returning council members will be happy to meet with you to talk about their districts and hear your thoughts and ideas. They are all CC'd on this email. Council President Young. So that email was sent on May 9th, 2016, which is almost a full year before I met Kahan. In the message, City Council President Jack Young CCs every incoming and current member of the City Council and recommends that they meet with Kahan to hear about his development plan. This is a big deal for Kahan. If he was legitimately trying to push his development proposal forward, having the City Council President vouch for you is a big deal. But if Kahan were trying to collect damning information on elected officials as a means to fulfill his informant duty, then getting an introduction to every member of the city council is also a big deal, but for an entirely different reason. Based on the court documents from the Oaks case, the senator accepted the first bribe on May 11th. That's just two days after Jack Young introduces city council members to Kahan. I know this could all simply be coincidental, Yet the timeline of events was strange. At the same time, this informant, who may or may not have been Kahan, was working on getting Oaks to accept the bribe. Kahan was fostering a relationship with the city council president, who several of my sources think was one of the larger targets of this FBI investigation. I spoke with a staff member within the city council president's office. They didn't want their name revealed in the story, but they were able to offer information that was quite elucidating. They confirmed that a couple of people within the office, including the city council president himself, had gone on ride-alongs with Kahan in 2016. It was later revealed in court documents released by Nathaniel Oakes's attorneys that the confidential informant did the same thing with Nathaniel Oakes. They drove around the city looking for distressed properties to renovate. This definitely sounded a lot like Kahan. A plan to revitalize Baltimore is set to land at the city council today. It comes with a price tag of $10 billion. WIPRC While all this was going on, the city council invited Kahan to present his TBR development plan to its Housing and Urban Affairs Committee. The fact that Kahan was able to get a hearing before the city council says a lot about how much people were buying into him and his TBR plan. A few weeks before the hearing, Kahan met with the city council president, the guy people suspected was one of the larger targets of this FBI public corruption sting. Yegley wasn't able to sit in on the meeting, but afterwards, Kahan spoke to him about what they discussed. How about that for support, huh? Jack? Yeah. Yeah. You guys going over what to anticipate at the city council hearing? Yeah, I mean, and he's prepping yeah. you kind of thing? Well, no, no, no. I, it's the wrong way. I'm prepping him. Sure. But he's like, man, everybody's calling me. He's like, man, I don't know, man. He's like, I think you should put, I think maybe, you know, you should put me on your payroll or something. Cause 
you know, he started laughing. He's like, man, I'm having to freaking tell all these people about the fact that I think you're a honest, sincere, straightforward guy. And that you're not, you're for real. Because everybody's like, can this guy who with this plan, like as ambitious as it is and, and for what it is and who he is, is this shit all for real? That was the underlying question at the heart of all of this. Was this shit for real? Was Kahan and the Baltimore Renaissance plan for real? Town of the Big House is brought to you by Dickie Bruce Productions, a media production company specializing in nonfiction content. <laughs>